today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Once you remove the truth, then you can and you must believe anything and everything. If God didn't create man specifically, if he didn't create the animals specifically, if he didn't create the plant life specifically, and if we didn't know that according to his word, then okay, evolution might work. But beloved, when the word of God declares, no, he made it after its own kind. Then he made the animals, each one after their own kind. And he made man specific, again, and in the image of God. If you remove the truth of the Bible, then what are you left with to believe? Today, Pastor David will challenge you to believe what God says in the Bible. He wants you to believe that God created the world as he wrote it was created. He made the animals according to their kind. He created man and woman in his image. These are the core truths that begin the journey through Genesis, through the Bible, and through the faith that you have. If you can believe that God was truthful then, you can believe He's truthful now. Now here's Pastor David in Genesis chapter 1 with part 1 of his study through the book of Genesis. The first five books of your Bible for the Jews, it's called the Torah. And for them, they say that it's five-fifths of the law. You understand that? Five-fifths. There ain't no more. This is it. Five-fifths of the law. And again, we also call that the Pentateuch. Pentateuch comes from a Greek word, Pentateuchus, which sounds really intelligent, simply means a five-volumed book. And again, those five books that we look at at the very beginning, they ought to be really familiar to you. Probably most of you know already Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, the books of the law, and again, the Torah as far as what the Jews called it and what they spoke of it about. And again, and they truly are, they are the core of not only the Old Testament, but in reality, the Pentateuch is the core of the New Testament. If we did not have the Old Testament, the first five of the Old Testament, there is a whole lot that we wouldn't have in the New Testament. Jesus quotes from it. Paul quotes from it. We see, again, the whole layout of it. We see that within the Word of God. So very important. Everything, everything we hold dear and true, theologically speaking, actually finds its root within the Torah or the Pentateuch or within those first five books of the Bible. The authorship, though, of the Pentateuch is highly debated 
by a lot of different critics of the Bible. They have this thing called higher criticism where they go and slice and dice and try and figure out that it's not saying what it is saying and who said it wasn't really the ones that were saying it. And they're you know continually doing these kind of things. Much has been said about the dating of the first five books. Much has been said about the time that's involved in it. And yet there is no claim by Moses himself I, Moses, am writing this word of the law to you. Again, we see a multitude of scripture references that cite Moses as the author. As a matter of fact, right after the first five books, what comes right after Deuteronomy, church? Joshua, the book of Joshua. And it's actually in Joshua where we see the first references to these books being written by Moses. There in Joshua chapter 8, verse 32, there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua inscribed on the stones a duplicate of the law written by Moses. So right there in the book of Joshua, they're speaking about the law that's written by Moses. In Joshua 22, 5, it says, but carefully obey the commands and the instructions Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you. So again, detailing that it's Moses, the Lord's servant, that gave them the books of the law. Even in the New Testament, there's a lot of different citations of Moses being the author. We just went through the book of Luke. In Luke 2, 22, speaks about that when the days of Mary's purification according to the law of Moses was completed, they brought the child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we read, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. Remember the two men on the road to Emmaus. That's what they were doing. Jesus Again, Luke says he began with the writings of Moses, the Torah, the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible. The Bible says that Moses wrote those first books. Jesus himself spoke of Moses being the author of the law. In John chapter five, verse 46, Jesus says, if you believed Moses, And referring again to these Pharisees that say that they know the law, they trust the law, they live according to the law. Jesus tells them, well, if you truly believed Moses, you would have believed me for he wrote about me. Now, clue right there. Moses wrote about Jesus. So who are we going to find in the Torah, church? We're going to find Jesus. We're going to find Jesus in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's one of the things we're going to do as we go through this study together, seeing Jesus, yes, even in the Old Testament. Also, Jesus said in John 7, verse 19, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? You see, the Bible says that Moses wrote the Torah. Jesus says that Moses wrote the Torah. And yet, Man is still struggling greatly in this whole thing. Even early Jewish rabbis, scholars, as well as 
early church fathers. Again, they referred to Torah, the book of the law, as being written by Moses. And yet in these later centuries, these scholars have now come up and they've questioned the authorship because there are some seeming conflicts within the text. There's uh, some differences in writing styles. And we're actually going to talk about that here in just a moment. But my task in this study isn't going to be to address every aspect of all of this higher criticism and all of the attacks on it, but to come to a more complete understanding of the book and God's purposes for you and I that are found within the book. Of the five books of the Pentateuch, there's no doubt that it's Genesis more than any other of those books that sets the foundation for our lives. It sets the foundation of the other four, and it sets the foundation for Judaism, sets the foundation for Christianity, not only back in the Old Testament, but for you and I even now. The very word Genesis means the origin, the source, the root, or the beginning. How fitting that it would be at the beginning, okay? So Genesis is where we find the introduction of theocracy, In other words, it's that understanding that God rules. He is the creator. He is the ruler. He is the sustainer. He is everything that we need in all of creation. And it's Genesis that sets that down. Not only the story of God's creation, but also his continued sovereign rule over all of that creation. Genesis is that book, the book of the beginnings, but also of the fall but even more than that, of the promised redemption that is available to us. It's in Genesis where it begins that at, again, the very beginning. So let's look at what it says. Hopefully you've got your Bibles with it. Genesis is right after the index at the front of the book. So it's the first book in the Bible, easy to find. Chapter one, that's where we're going. Creation and and all that we know. Our universe, our galaxies, our solar system, our planet, the plant life, all that's in the ocean, all that's in the air, all that's on the land, and man himself, everything was created according to God's word by the word of God, that God spoke it into being. And all of that was spoken into existence. And the interesting thing, when we read that first chapter, guess what? It was made, every plant, after its own kind. Every animal, after its own kind. And mankind was made specific and special in the image of the triune God. What is so difficult about understanding this whole concept of after its own kind? You see, when evolution comes in, and we'll speak about that in a moment, it begins cutting into the very foundation of the truth. And once you remove the truth, then you can and you must believe anything and everything. If God didn't create man specifically, if he didn't create the animals specifically, if he didn't create the plant life specifically, and if we didn't know that according to his word, then okay, evolution might work. But beloved, when the word of God declares, no, he made it after its own kind. Then he made the animals, each one after their own kind. And he made man specific, again, and in the image of God. That's so amazing to me 
that even Christians will fall for the lie of evolution. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe in evolution. I believe that there is micro evolution. I believe that things change, okay? Animals change, plant life changes. But you know what? You cannot make a rose bush an orange tree. You can't make a dog a cat. I don't care how many millions and billions of years that dog will resist it every chance he gets. Okay. No. It does not happen that way. Dogs are dogs, cats are cats, cows are cows, humans are humans, and it does not change from those things. Everyone made after its own kind. One of the things that we see in chapter one, specifically in chapter one, but we also see it in other areas in Genesis and in the writings throughout the Pentateuch, throughout the Torah, throughout the first five books of the Bible, is a very poetic style of writing, very poetic format. Eight times in that first chapter, we read that exact phrase, then God said, let. Look what it says there in verse three. And God said, let there be light. And when God said, let there be light, guess what, gang? There was light, amen. Then down in verse six, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above. God called the firmament heaven. And so the evening and the morning were the second day. We'll get to that in a moment. Look down in verse nine. Then God said, let the waters under heaven be gathered together. Let dry land appear, the water and the land separated. Down in verse 11, God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. Down in verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night. God spoke these things into existence, they came into existence. Look down at verse 20. In verse 20, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heaven. Look at verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. Look down at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, you need to understand, as we're going through this, we will not read every verse, okay? We would not be able to get through our study here. So my encouragement to you read ahead. Again, in this whole idea of the poetic flow and the style, we find that seven different times we read a similar phrase of, and God saw that it was good. Again, God spoke it into existence and God saw that it was good. At the end of verse 10, and God saw that it was good and on and on. Seven different times through there, each time that he created something, he saw that it was good. Then we look and see another repetition. There's six different times 
each signifying a different day, we read the exact same phrase. So the evening and the morning were the first day or the second day or the third day. Each time we see that in the portion of creation as he goes. Gang, you've got to understand and see that there is this interconnectedness of all of these things that come together that we can't bypass, we can't ignore, we can't say that it's not there. There is that flow that is put within this word that draws it all together. There is a pattern. Then God said, and things were created, and God saw that it was good, and then that was the evening and the morning of that particular day. Each one of these phrases, they cooperate together in telling the whole story of Genesis in that poetic fashion that I spoke to you about. There's so much debate about that first chapter of Genesis. I mean, I I can fully understand the debate because if you get the beginning wrong, guess what? There's gonna be a great possibility that you're gonna get the rest of the Bible wrong. If you don't get the foundation correct, you're gonna have a poor, poor building. And beloved, that's why it's so important and that's why the attack on the book of Genesis is so, so strong. Because if you do away with it, you will have problems. If you destroy the beginning, you remove the foundation of the balance of the scripture. If you destroy the foundation of your faith, let me ask you, where is your faith going to lead? If you don't have a strong faith. Some believe in what's called a gap theory that says that between Genesis chapter one, verse one, and verse two, that there was a undetermined amount of time This is actually a theory that that was put together by a Presbyterian minister a hundred years or so ago in response to the science, quote unquote, that was coming up dealing with this whole idea of evolution. And he said, well, I know what we can do if we put in this wide spance of time between verse one and verse two, then we can all just kind of get along. We can still have evolution and we can still have the Bible story. We'll just put in the middle there that again, all this time of evolution, all this corruption came. As a matter of fact, the gap theory states that God created the heavens and the earth in the first verse, but it became corrupt. Sometimes in the midst of millions of years because of Satan's rebellion, That resulted in what is called Lucifer's flood. That resulted in producing the fossil record. And the earth was then plunged into darkness. And we come to verse two, where the earth was without form, void, and darkness was on the face of the earth. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time finding the chapter and verse that hits all of what they're trying to say there. Somebody has just pulled out or actually put in, plunged in, divided up the word, plunged in something that's not there at all. It's a strange hypothesis, but again, gang, sin didn't come into the earth because of Satan's rebellion. Sin came into the earth because of Adam, and we'll look at that as we go through. I'm just gonna tell you my personal belief, and you're free to agree with me or disagree with me, It's really and truly not a salvation issue, but I do believe that it holds to a firm understanding of God's word from beginning to end. My personal belief for grammatical reasons, for 
doctrinal reasons, for theological reasons, is, is that when God formed the universe, the earth and all that's in it, that he actually did it in six 24-hour days. Now, I understand that sounds archaic. That sounds ancient. That sounds without any kind of scientific logic. But let me tell you, my God is an awesome God. My God is the ancient of days. My God isn't bound by the logic of man. My God stands over the rules of science. And he is by nature a God of the supernatural and the miraculous. And beloved, if your God isn't that kind of a God, you don't have much of a God. If your God depends upon millions or billions of years in order to get done what he says when he says, let there be, then I think that you've got a problem with who your God is. I fully understand. Again, I'm using kind of a circular reason to cover up my argument. But the fact is, I do believe that God overrules all things, the things of science, even the things of logic. And so here's the issue that we face. If your God can't create the universe and all that's in it in six days, six 24-hour days, even causing the light, and I know this is one of the arguments, no, it takes like so many millions of light years for that light to get here to earth. Why? Could God speak and suddenly light is there? My God can. He can speak it into existence. Again, immediately, if God can't do that, then you know what? Let me ask you, is your God big enough to cause a worldwide flood? He's not big enough to create it. Maybe he's not big enough to cause a worldwide flood, destroying all of mankind and all of the animals except for those that were found in the ark that we find in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. Tell me, can your God cause the tongues of all men to be so confused that as they're building this high tower to reach into the heavens that suddenly they can't get any work done and they're scattered all over the known earth? Maybe your God's not big enough to do that because he's not big enough to speak into existence all that we know. How big is your God? Let me ask you, can your God actually cause fire and brimstone to fall out of heaven and destroy two cities that are so wicked and vile? Is your God big enough to be able to do that? If your God can't create the heavens and the earth and all that we know in six 24-hour days, can your God truly cause a man who is 100 years old and his wife who is 90 to have a child? Maybe your God's not big enough for that. If you say your God is omnipotent, if you say that your God, and omnipotent means all-powerful, if you say that your God is all-powerful, and yet he's not able to form everything out of nothing at the mere word of his mouth, and God said, what kind of a God do you have? Is he a kind of God that can cause a death angel to pass over an entire nation and in one night kill the firstborn of every family and of every livestock and yet entirely miss an entire nation within that nation because they performed a ritualistic ceremony that was called for them to do. Maybe your God's not big enough to do that. 
As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.